When we trust Christ, prepared by his word, stepping out in faith, his word at work, dwelling richly in our lives, when we are equipped for every good deed, then when the Lord bears forth the opportunity that he has ordained us to walk into, we are ready to do what he has called us to do based on what he has said. Thanks for joining us for this weekend edition of Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. Equipping the Saints is a daily radio outreach from Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. And Greg, the question of being in the world but not of the world is one that can sometimes be hard to define. You know, Dave, as with other issues regarding our Christian life, you know, I've often found that sometimes the wrong questions are being asked when determining what we should or shouldn't do. Now, today we're going to see from the words of the Apostle Paul how we are to behave in the midst of an ungodly world in relationship to all men. Our text is Titus chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, today's message is one you'll want to share with a friend. Just tell them to visit etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. They'll find today's broadcast as well as a host of other archived broadcasts waiting there for them. Our web address, again, is simply etsradio.org. Now, let's join Greg for today's message. How are we to relate to non-believers? How are we to behave in the midst of an ungodly world? Should we be standing on the street corners with signs saying, Repent, I was down on Mill Plain the other day and there was a guy there, and I don't know his heart or his motives, but he's holding up a sign to repent. Is that what we should be doing? How should we relate to a world that does not know Christ, that does need to repent? Should we be having signs and picketing, things like God hates gays, things like that? Should we be doing things like that? Should we be like the mass evangelist priming the gospel pump with flesh-driven activities and music that might appeal to our desires? Should we be continually trying to convince non-believers that creation is true and evolution is false? Should we be isolating ourselves from a wicked world? Should we be getting away from this wickedness? Should we be purifying ourselves by separating? Should we be going door to door? You know, it's interesting. Some of those things obviously are wrong and some are questionable. And all of these things I've shared are not spoken of in Scripture. And it's interesting that the way we relate to non-believers often is based on our own wisdom rather than what God has said in his word. So often I find we exclude the very clear teachings concerning how we are to relate to non-believers and go on our way within our own wisdom how we are to relate to them. And I praise God that God has not left us in the dark that he has shared in his word how we are to relate to those who do not know Christ. And with that in mind, I want to have us turn to Titus chapter 3, and we're going to look at the end of verse 1 and verse 2, where we're going to see, I believe, a gracious reminder how we are to behave in the midst of an ungodly world and why we are to do so. Now again, the context, Paul is writing to Titus, his true child in the faith. Titus 
has been left in Crete to set in order what remains and to appoint elders in every city. And the Apostle Paul has given him God's instructions on how his church is to be led by godly men with godly character that are like Christ, who are those who hold fast the faithful word, who exhort and refute in sound doctrine, who silence the contradictors. Because there are many out there, as Paul would say, there are many rebellious men. And we see ultimately that there are threats that they were in Titus upsetting whole households, teaching things they should not teach. And then the Lord through Paul unveils their hearts that these men who do such things are worthless for any good deed. They are detestable as God would see them through his eyes. But in contrast, we start at chapter 2 where the Apostle Paul tells Titus, but you, in contrast to these other people, speak things which are only fitting for sound doctrine. Speak things which are only fitting for sound, healthy teaching. And then he gives sound doctrine for the church, how we are to behave, how older men are to behave, how older women are to behave, how young women are to behave, how younger men are to behave, how bond slaves are to behave. And then we saw ultimately how anyone is able to do what God calls us to do. It is because the grace of God has appeared. God's saving grace has come in the person of Christ, and it has brought salvation. It is because of His grace and mercy that we are redeemed and saved that we can do what God wants us to do. And then we saw in the end of chapter 2 that that same grace in the person of Christ is instructing us right now to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. That's what God is doing in the life of His people. And to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And that same grace in the person of Christ, I believe, through the Word of God, by the power of the Spirit, is training our eyes to look heavenward, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us, buy us back from every lawless deed, and purify for us a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. That's what God is doing in Christ And based on what Christ has done and is doing, then we have the commands on how to live. And then in chapter 3, we see some reminders on how we are to behave. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. And here's why. For we also once were foolish ourselves. We'll see next week, Lord willing, that the reason why we are to be what he says today, we'll look at, is because we were just like them. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace we might be made heirs 
according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement concerning these things, what I just shared. I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed in God may be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for all men. We're going to see what these things are today that we are to be engaged in. So again, would you turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. Now, last week we went and looked at the first section of verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and to authorities, to be obedient. Now, I'm not going to go through this portion again. We went through it in depth last week, but I'm just going to review a little bit. And if you have any questions, feel free to go get the CD and listen to it. And then after that, I'll certainly be willing to share the word with you. But we saw last week that we as believers are reminded which implies that we as believers should already know these things. And I believe the list of things that he shares with us are things that we should intuitively know when we are saved, when the love of Christ has been poured out on our hearts. These are things we should know and we need to be reminded of now. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. We're commanded to be subject in subjection, continually habitually to rulers and authorities. We saw that that's government. And we saw the reasons why last week. Romans 13 and John 19 and 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'll summarize those. Why should we be doing this? Because first of all, God says so. But secondly, Romans 13, we saw in depth that God declares that all authority has been given by Him and that they are His ministers, His deacons literally, and His servants. Even all evil governments, evil men like Pilate we saw in John chapter 19, that God is sovereign. And lastly, we saw from 1 Peter chapter 2 that God uses the righteous response of his people in submission ultimately to him underneath government to silence or muzzle the ignorance of foolish men, to make foolish men no longer ignorant in the sense of what God is doing in His people, that they might even glorify God in the day of visitation, that their righteous deeds, as Jesus would say, would be manifest and give glory to the Father. But you might say, and you might have said this after last week, how do we change our governments apart from taking action? We must take action. We need to take action, righteous action. Brothers and sisters, I believe we miss the point when we say that. Just like Christ, God is using our response to suffering that he is sovereign over as a redemptive opportunity. The Lord God suffered under the hand of wicked governments, which ultimately brought him to the cross, the cruel Roman cross, And he submitted. He didn't revile in return. He understood that they did not have authority over him unless God had granted it to them. And through his suffering and death, he has brought redemption. And then also, as we suffer and respond rightly, as we trust Christ with conscience towards God, God uses those things to bring about, I believe, redemptive opportunities that people would glorify God in the day of visitation. But you say, I hear all that, but how can we bring change? What does Scripture say? Well, we saw some examples last week of what we should do if the government wants you to sin. We saw the example of Daniel. Daniel in chapter 1, you know, he actually was going to be told to eat things that were not in accordance with the law 
ultimately. But he didn't say, I can't do that. He graciously and humbly submitted to his superior and asked him if he could have a different diet. But then in chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were called upon to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's statue, and they would not do that, and that is where they disobeyed. And we saw in Acts chapter 5 last week that when Peter and John were told not to speak of Jesus, they said, we must obey God rather than man. But you say, how can we change things? Last week, I believe we saw the answer. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. For kings and all who are in authority, pray for them, right? In order that, pray in order that we might lead a tranquil and quiet life. God says pray for them that we might do that in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. This is good and acceptable. Who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time. If you want to change people, pray for their salvation. It is only an internal change that will change how they act and lead and rule. So how do we live in the midst of an ungodly world, ungodly governments? Just to sum up what we saw last week and I've just touched on today, we are to be submitting, obeying, honoring, and praying. That's what we should be doing. Submitting, obeying, honoring, and praying. Oh, our flesh tempts us to take action. Our wisdom says if you don't take action, this whole country will go to hell in a handbasket. Christians need to rise up and take back our government. Folks, we don't need to rise up. We need to submit and obey and honor and pray. That's what God says in his word. Okay, so first of all, that's our behavior in relationship to government. Now at this point, in the end of verse 1, going through verse 2, I believe we're going to see our behavior in relationship to all men. And I believe that all men points to unbelievers, as we will see. Again, verse 1, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Now, as we look at these verses, remember, it is all tied to this first portion, remind them. We're to be reminded, God is saying through Paul to Titus, remind them. And I am reminding you today and I am reminding myself from the Word of God what we are to be doing. We have so many things we think we should be doing in the context of non-believers, but yet we don't do what God wants us to do directly. We need to master what God has said by His power and strength first before we go off in our own ways and how we deal with non-believers. Now we need to remember here, it is remind them to be subject To be obedient, then we have three things we'll see today. To be ready, to malign no one, and to be uncontentious, gentle, and it goes on showing consideration for all men. Now one might raise the question before we begin, who are all men in this passage? Now I believe these commands, some may say, is it non-believers, believers, is it everybody? Certainly we are to be this way towards believers, I believe. 
But I think actually the focus here is towards non-believers, and I'll tell you why. Because right after he says we should be this way to all men, look at verse 3. Four, he's going to explain. We also once were foolish ourselves. We were like them. And I believe the focus here in terms of all men is on all unbelievers, even though certainly we should definitely be treating believers this way too. Okay, with that in mind, how is it we are to treat unbelievers? How are we to behave in their midst? Are we to treat foolish, disobedient, deceived, hateful man? How are we to do it? Are we to contend with them in our flesh? Are we to speak evil of them because they're evil? Folks, we have so many systems of evangelism that focus on contending with man rather than what we'll see today. We have so many ways to address non-believers which really show no consideration for them. And I believe God says clearly that we need to be reminded of the right way, the way he says. So what's the first way we're supposed to treat unbelievers? Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. And then he says, to be ready for every good deed. That's the first thing. We are reminded to be ready for every good deed. And that leads to the question, well, what is good? Mark 10, 17, Jesus shares. And he was setting out on a journey And a man ran up to him, this is Jesus, and knelt before him. And he began asking him, Mark 10, 17, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. That's the premise we start when we think of good works, that no one is good but God alone. And ultimately, in that situation, Jesus is rebuking him, saying, you don't believe that I'm God. Why do you call me good teacher? Because no one is good but God alone. And ultimately, you don't believe that I'm God. So, But from that passage, we see the main point, no one is good but God. That's our starting point for good works. Right? Now, why do I bring this up? Obviously, because only true goodness comes from a good God. Indeed, in Scripture, we see that God is characterized by good works. He is characterized by good. He is characterized by good deeds. And we see his redeemed people in Scripture are good. And we also see that they are saved unto good works. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, or his poem, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We were dead in our trespasses and sins before, unable to do good. We are his new creation in Christ Jesus, created for the purpose of good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared the good works because he is good, and we walk into those good works. But what are good deeds from God's point of view? Well, first of all, again, we need to recognize for us that only truly good deeds and a zealousness for such stem from a relationship with Jesus Christ alone. Just back a few verses, I read it before in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus 
who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself. Christ was given for us that he might redeem by back and purify, which is cleanse a people for his own possession. And then he says, zealous for good deeds. It is only the redeemed who are in Christ, abiding in Christ, who can truly do what is good, those things that God has prepared before the foundation and has laid them forth for us to walk in. So then apart from truly being saved, there are no truly good deeds from God's point of view. Only God is good. And when one is separated from God, there is no true goodness because he is separated from a good God. And folks, nothing we do as a believer in the context of sin is good because God is not in it. There are no good deeds to be wrought apart from an abiding relationship with Christ. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We are not adequate to consider anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. It is impossible to please God apart from faith. Nothing we do apart from trusting and abiding in Christ is going to truly be good. But here in our passage, we have instruction that we can listen to believe and trust God to do through us. And I believe we're going to see, ultimately, these good deeds. Now, what is it that equips the believer for every good deed? 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work, or literally deed, every good work. It is the Word of God that equips the believer who abides in Christ for every good deed that God has laid out before the foundation of the earth for us to walk into. It's God working through His Word in the life of the submitted believer who is trusting Christ that produces good works. Now with this in mind, what are the good deeds which God has prepared? What are the specific good deeds? Let's take a look specifically at our passage again. Notice in our passage, in the middle of verse 1, it doesn't say to do every good deed. Remind them to do every good deed. It says, remind them to be ready to do, ready for every good deed. And some of you might say, well, what's the difference here? And I believe the difference is huge. Because so many believers, or so-called believers, or make-believers, are doing many good deeds, and their deeds are scheduled out. They just decide to do it, they go do it. That's it. Ultimately, they are the Lord over their good deeds. But here, our passage says, remind them to be ready. The term ready carries the idea of being prepared, being ready for every good deed. There is a preparation for the good deeds that God has called us to walk into. It's speaking of having a continual, habitual state of readiness or preparedness. If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the ministry of Equipping the Saints, all our audio resources are available at no cost to you. 
Thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. Greg, as we close today's broadcast, I've heard it said that you should never resist an urge to be generous or kind. Is that being ready for every good deed? You know, Dave, in the context of waiting on the Lord and submitting to his leading, when he prompts you to step out in faith in his name, to be generous and kind to an unbeliever, then you need to be ready to do it. The the key is really waiting on the Lord and trusting in him rather than just rushing out and acting on your own desires, whether good or bad. You see, it's the Lord that provides the opportunities for us to manifest his goodness and love to others. And our job in the context of trusting him is being ready and able and willing when he opens those doors. We need to be ready for every good deed and eagerly await the doors that the Lord opens for us to manifest his character in this life. As we close today's broadcast, here's an important message from our teacher, Greg Lundstedt. Hi, this is Greg Lundstedt, and it is my great privilege to study and teach the Word of God and to share it with you each day on this radio station. And as you listen, I want to ask you this question. Has equipping the saints been a blessing to you? If so, would you prayerfully consider coming alongside us financially? You see, your financial partnership with us is so appreciated. So on behalf of the team here at Equipping the Saints, we want to praise our Lord and thank you for your prayers and financial support. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, to partner with us, call us toll-free, 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. Or if you prefer to send a gift online, our web address is etsradio.org. Well, we hope you make plans to join us again right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints. Yeah.